Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. How's it going this week, Noel? Uh, it's been okay. How have things been for you this week? I just got a bunch of invoicing done that I had been, like, needing to get to for, like, a week and a half. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's going great. Get that money! Yeah, because I'm, uh, I'm, like, caught up on most of the really big things I needed to get caught up on this week now, which is Mm -hmm. very exciting. I only have, like... A whole giant list of things that I want to get done, but I don't need to get them done, Noel. That's what's important. Maybe you should just get them done anyway. Yes, that's what I'm going to attempt to do. I'm very excited about this because I will be able to do some of them tomorrow. But I will also be able to have some, like, breakfast or lunch with some of my family as well. And that was looking, you know, spotty for a minute, but but now I can't. So So, it's exciting. Wait, hang on. Are you getting breakfast and lunch or are you getting brunch? Well, it depends on when they get here. I'm not getting breakfast and lunch. I'm either getting breakfast or lunch, and they'll say it's brunch, but I'll say it's this is lunchtime, people. So uh, we'll see how it goes. How about what you? is what is your brunch window? Oh, well, see my breakfast window. I like when I say uh-huh. brunch, I pretty much mean breakfast okay. for other people because like. I don't want to be going out to brunch in Chicago after like nine. I want to get sure. there like right before nine because there's always a rush at nine. And yeah, so if yeah, you yeah. if you get seated right before nine, you can get like in and out in an hour. There's usually not too bad of a line. Delicious foods, not too crazy. If you start getting like meeting up at like nine, ten, then like pretty soon it's like a three hour event. I'm too busy for that. I don't have enough mm-hmm. time for that to be how I spend my Saturday. So uh, yes, that's I, I it's. I brunch by just doing breakfast, and I don't drink booze at brunch anyway, so it works out. Okay. What about you? Uh, well, I love brunch very much, uh-huh. um, but my window for it is, like, very narrow. So it's mm-hmm. just, like, if it's between 10 and 11, you're in brunch. Anything after that, it's, like, lunch. It's as basically far as lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you want to have breakfast for lunch, that's fine, but you're having lunch. Um, so it's very, I have a very narrow window and a very strict definition. Uh, but listeners should let us know what their brunch windows are. Yes. Uh. <laughs> yes. I, and, and like, and again, I have no issues with the breakfast for lunch or breakfast for dinner thing. So same, like same. just call breakfast it what it is. Breakfast for dinner is the best. It's delicious. I make a yeah. delightful breakfast taco, I must say. So I've had that mm-hmm. for, for dinner a couple times in the past couple weeks. It was very good. Um, but you mentioned our listeners. We are overdue on listener feedback. Uh, so everyone, we're going to dive in with that in just a moment. At the end of the podcast this week, we're talking about our 2018 TV resolutions. So we might like may you know see evaluate how we how we fared this last year with 2017 resolutions, and then talk about what we're planning to do this year for our TV resolutions. Um, and we've got a full week in TV, but we got to talk about our listener feedback first. So this is the feedback from the last like month or so. Um, yeah, sorry about that, listeners. Thank you for reaching out. We heard from Vincent at the website uh, who said you two and your crazy ex-girlfriend I wish I could watch it but I really can't I'm extremely susceptible to what we Germans call okay I'm gonna try this Noel Fremdschirmen I think French Fremdschirmen it's like the first syllable Fremd- right? that that sounds better 
Okay, Fremdschrammen, uh, which basically means to feel the embarrassment of someone other. So if someone's getting into a weird situation or they're about to do something stupid, I cannot watch it. And that was the pilot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, all of it, all of the yeah. time. I hear you, Vincennes, and like... Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and we, he went on uh, in in the comment to talk about some of the other TV um, that uh, that he was appreciating this year. Um, due to that lag, it's a lot of stuff that uh, it's like waiting for Netflix, waiting for Amazon to to get full seasons of things. But um, wanted to give a shout out to the Expanse seasons one and two, Killjoys season one one and two, Thirteen Reasons Why, and Sweet Vicious in particular. Um, he says, Sweet Vicious was one of the most surprising experiences of the year. That scene with Ophelia going to Kennedy to call BS on her behavior and later Jules and Kennedy in the library. Such amazing performances from these terrific actresses. Wholeheartedly agree. Super on board. Can't believe it only got one season. <sighs> we missed it. MTV. Yeah. Uh, we also heard from David over at, at uh, Facebook who said, I started watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend earlier in the year. Absolutely loved the first episode. The songs were great and witty, but after six episodes, I got a bit bored with it. It just felt like the show didn't, if the show didn't have songs, then it wasn't offering anything else interesting as the characters were a bit one-dimensional. And I was fed up with the record Josh storyline right away. Uh, should I stick with it? Do the characters become more interesting? What do you think, Noel? I can understand where uh, David's coming from with this, uh, though I think I think you should stick with it with it, David, because the whole situation is a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think that being fed up with Rebecca and Josh is sort of the point, um, at least from an audience perspective. I think that either you, the show clearly wants you to see this as a bad idea and but that no one else can quite see it because everyone else's lives are sort of not happy so that's why they keep trying to pursue why um paula and rebecca keep trying to pursue this uh so i i I think it gets better um after the first six i'd have to go back and like look look at the episode descriptions a little bit um i know it definitely picks up towards the end of season one after they were like confirmed to get like a back order Mm -hmm. well well, for me it's interesting because i was invested in the characters right away. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know how good a judge I am of whether it improves on that front, because for me, I was invested right away. But I'm super with you. I didn't care about Josh and, and Rebecca at all either. Yeah. Um, much more invested in some of the other characters, uh, at least certainly the relationships. But characters like Paula and Greg uh, and Heather get a lot more development as the show continues. Uh, certainly the show is not on board with Rebecca and Josh, uh, as a good thing long term. So, I mean, I know David in, is a uh, appreciates the music when there's particularly strong musical episodes, so maybe that's something to do is to like jump to an episode that has a song that you've heard that you like and go from there. Um I don't know. I don't know if I would if you, I think I kind of feel like if you didn't like it in the first, if you watched six episodes and you didn't like it, this might not be a show for you. But I also yeah, think it's a that's brilliant show. So, right. So I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. If you if you're six episodes in and you don't feel like it's clicking, I would also just stop. But I'm a masochist, mm-hmm. so um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Clearly, we're it's we're in season three now, and we both think it's a brilliant show. We think it's has really amazing things to say about mental health and about gender roles and about all sorts of other things. Um, but let us, let me know, let it reach out, let us know, David, because I am intrigued uh, whether, you know, there, that this is something you come back to, or if you just like say, you know what, not for me, not worth it, not worth the slog to get to the developments that happen, you know, character developments that happen 
like with Greg in a big way at the beginning of season two, uh, with Heather later on season two, season three. Um, certainly with Paula, there's big arcs yeah. for her throughout, really. But she starts coming into her own more in the end, uh, it's like back half of season uh, one and into season two and three. So, um, yeah. But I, yeah. It takes, I mean, we're in season three now and we finally have have some development for Josh that hasn't really happened in a big, and that's sort of been what the storyline has been for him the few past few episodes. We'll talk about it in our waking TV this week, but um, yeah, I, I'm on the fence. I want to tell everyone to watch the show, but if you've already watched six, maybe it's just not for you. So yeah, let us know which way you fall on that. Uh, talked with Zandra on Twitter this week about toxic Steven Universe fandom. We'll talk more about that when we get to Steven Universe this week. Uh, I also wanted to mention, we talked to Brandy. First of all, we just enjoyed talking to Brandy because Brandy's fabulous. That's true, yes. Um, but I wanted, Brandy appreciated our Supercore uh, appreciation in the Smorgasporgy. And I wanted to mention that because, like, I am so invested in Supercore at this point, Noel. Like, this is the most of a shipper I have been for a yeah. non-canon ship in my history of watching TV where it's, it's I feel like that's pretty accurate for me too so yeah it's 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 very unusual cuz normally I'm like okay I could see how they could do this or they could go that way and these actors have good chemistry and like when they're working towards something I can get invested in it that kind of thing it's very unusual for me to like say a a relationship that for all intents and purposes is like not supposed to be there is one that I'm just like yelling at the TV, but clearly this, like I, that's not yeah. a thing I usually do. Um, so I just wanted to mention it and see if that was just me. It sounds like it's not. No, it's not. Um, like a lot of my shipping tends to be like really performative in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. And like, I can acknowledge that I like the idea of these two characters together, but it doesn't drive like my engagement with the show in any way, shape or form. But yeah, it really drives it with the Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I enjoy other things about Supergirl, uh, yeah. but Supercore, it's just, they have so much chemistry together, and they're both sort of leaning into it, especially McGrath, mm -hmm. and it's it's difficult not to, it, it goes beyond subtext in a lot of ways, and it's, it's really difficult not to see it as text, mm -hmm. or at least a denial of text, as opposed to just actual subtext. So. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad that's not just me. Because, <laughs> no, like, no you're way. less of a shipper than I am. And yes, so, and we're I both am. very invested in this. Um, Witness Aria, who I still love your Twitter name. I mention this, like, every time you write in. Uh, I still love that, uh, that Twitter name. Uh, wanted a list of the Smorgasbordian categories. Like, did, if oh, we had them somewhere do so, that, you? <laughs> <laughs> so that they could play along. Um, and I meant to, to, like, reach out with something for you. Uh, at the time, but I was really swamped with my actual job. Uh, so I've, I got could... a, I've got a blank Google Doc that I can share. Okay. Yeah. Hit up Noel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we do. Reach reach out to me on Twitter at Noel RK and I'll give I'll send you the um I'll send you the Google Doc link that I have. That's just a blank one. Okay, because I was gonna say, like, I have one, but it is all filled in with the previous yeah. year, so great that's I got a blank awesome one. I'm yeah good. next year we'll like post it up ahead of time so you guys can start pondering and join us for the insanity um and well that means that i've committed to doing that now Noel, which also means that i've committed to firming up what the actual categories are ahead of time which is probably a good thing so yay. yeah 
<laughs> Noel's very patient with me, listeners. Um, also, we heard from Thug Yod on the couch um, with uh, their thoughts on TV this year. My TV movie wish list for 2018 more complex and lead roles for women, people of color, LGBTQ, and differently abled characters. More shows developed, run, and written by women, people of color, LGBTQ, and differently abled creators. No more whitewashing, inclusion, not diversity, and just like, here, here, that like, hell yes. That's what we all want, right? Yeah, well, pretty much. So it's yeah. So yeah, we, we all want. All want. <laughs> it's not what everybody wants for some strange yeah. reason, but it's certainly what I think any pretty much anybody listening to this podcast wants. Hopefully, and yeah. Hope otherwise. Why are you listening? I would should yeah, have annoyed I, you, you by now. I feel like anyone else would have given up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and lastly, Carl made us another GIF. Carl, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. That really uh, boosted the, the the heart, made the heart grow fonder and warmer that day um, and since. So thank you very much, Carl. You're the best. Um, so any other TV news we should mention here before we go to our weekend TV? Right. So uh, Runaways got picked up for a second season uh, and good timing since they actually ran away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that... I feel like that was sort of expected just given like the general critical consensus around it was pretty positive. Mm -hmm. Um, even if the sort of audience reception, I think was a little more checkered, but the other really exciting news, and I'm very excited about this. I'm sure I'm hoping you are too, is Rosario Dawson's going to be in Jane the Virgin, Kate. I'm very excited listeners. I'm very exciting. This is very, very exciting. Um, so for multiple episodes. Yeah. Like if it was a one-off, that would be fun. But the fact that it's going to be a character for several episodes is just totally badass. And I, Rosario Dawson can like play anything. So like I could like imagine if she shows up and she's part of like the Marbella stuff, right? How Mm -hmm. much would that reinvest me in all the drama over there? I could see her international like competitor to Sin Rostro. Like how amazing would that be? Or head of like the anti Sin Rostro task force at the bureau who has to like come in for some reason. Or she could be another writer inspiration for Jane, or she could be like a long lost like rival that we just haven't seen that Jane grew up with, and you know, like. Or she could be, uh, she could be um Raph's. She could be Raph's um, what's his name? I've already forgotten. Adam. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, she could be a former patient of Alba's who's going to be like, why have you been working in a gift shop? You are a physical therapist. Let's get you back into your actual job. Like there's so many, there's so much potential for this character, whoever she's going to play. And I am very excited to see what they cook up over at Jane the Virgin. So yeah, that was like definitely the highlight of the TCA news for me for this whole winter's TCA season. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, we need to get into our Week in TV because I just looked down at the clock and we've been going for a while here. Um, So we will take a break, listen to some crazy ex-girlfriend and come back with our Week in Comedy and Reality right after this. Just give me some of that premium, great baby batter. I never splatter my sperm. My sperm is no cause for concern. My sperm is healthy. My 
Let's put him as healthy. That was Daryl, another of the craziest girlfriend characters who's gotten a lot of character development <laughs> since these, uh, the, after the first six episodes of season one, uh, David. So yes, there's, that's another character who really gets more shape and definition as the show continues. Anyways, he's singing about his healthy sperm. Um, more on that when we get to it. But, uh, for our week in comedy and reality, we're going to kick things off. I'm going to talk a bit here about the Golden Globes and, uh, then we'll, then we'll go into Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and their mid-season premiere. Nathaniel needs my help. Then we have Blackish, Inheritance, uh, Top Chef Colorado. And now that's a lot of schnitzel. And we'll round things out with the amazing race. You're the best French fry ever. So first up is the Golden Globe Awards, which we weren't planning to talk about. I didn't yeah. even watch live, but uh, I ended up catching the the monologue and um, uh, Seth Meyers' monologue, I should say. say. I, I watched Oprah's speech. I watched some of the other speeches. I uh, saw the Natalie Portman thing, which is delightful. Um, and I, I was really excited uh, by what I was seeing in the coverage of the red carpet. So I actually ended up watching quite a bit of red carpet uh, footage, which I've never said that before, and really appreciating what the various uh, women of the, you know who are attending the Golden Globes put together as their statement there for that evening in relation to Times Up and this initiative to to bring activists as their guests to the to the awards um, to have the unity of the everyone wore black but they all made it their own they all looked amazing they looked so glam if they wanted to and simple if they did if they didn't want to glam it up and they just kicked ass this unifying thing like I, I there was a lot of kind of uh criticism of this idea of actresses and producers and writers and directors and people who were going to be at the globes just wearing black and this was some sort of very shallow idea but it really had an impact when you get those panning shots of the crowd and the crowd is all in black. I mean, we're used to the most of the men wearing tuxes or suits in black. But to just see a sea, a unified sea of bodies instead of like all the little dots of color was really striking for someone who's watched too many award shows. Um, did you have any thoughts on on Time's Up and the different, you know, like, the, I don't know if you caught any of the speeches. You said you watched the monologue. Did you catch anything else around this or mostly just did you tune in to see how Seth Meyers did? Uh, I basically just watched the monologue and uh, then saw most of um, Oprah's uh, speech for um, the Cecil Lee DeMille Lifetime Achievement. Uh, so I didn't see much of anything else. Uh, I was watching a movie in Turner Classic Movies. Which is um, never a bad choice. No, it was not. And in fact, I, it was a Bogart movie I hadn't seen before, so I was enjoying myself. Um, but I, I think there's validity to the criticism about the black wardrobe mm -hmm. but but the it also belies the fact of how much that can make a statement um in terms of a degree of inclusion or a uh, how fashion is representative of certain things mm -hmm. and so i think that there i think that it's in this instance, it's significantly more powerful and potent, especially when you talk about how the crowd itself uh, that was there surrounding the red carpet was also decked out in black. I think 
makes that statement a lot more powerfully than say the criticisms of it of like this is a very shallow gesture that we're making here and one that was even addressed on samantha b uh when they had amber tamlin come on real quick at the end uh about like trying to rework what time time's up is wanting to achieve and how and who they're including in that yeah um but i i i still i still agree with you that there's power in that representation especially with something like the globes and uh the sort of reputation that the globes has is more of a debaucherous Mm -hmm. sort of event in which everyone gets very toasted um and making that stand in one of the more frivolous award ceremonies i think is is kind of a clear thing because this is always pitched as a party and it wasn't a it didn't seem like a party this year so i I appreciated that from that aspect but you actually watched some of it so maybe it became a party later oh no it was a party throughout it just was a party full of people that were tired of a bunch of bullshit and we're gonna Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna say something about it even in very short speeches and then of course oprah did like about a 10 minute speech for her acceptance of the self B demille award but i mean i give oprah as much time as she wants she's Oprah. oh man it was an amazing speech it was like listeners it was real good go seek it out it's very 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 good um but yeah and if they had just done the dressing in black thing fair enough but like they launched the time's up um uh legal defense fund like before this weekend they had already raised over 14 million dollars in donations um, for re- legal representation for people in any line of work that need legal representation um, for sexual harassment um, in the workplace. So, you know, I think they really put, you know, they put their money where their mouth was and they opened it up to all sorts of different people. And, you know, I think they're doing something and I, they're including um, they're including activist leaders in different parts of what they're doing as well. And I think that's you know, they're not saying we have the solution for everything. We're Hollywood. We know everything. They're saying this is one thing we can do. And here are a bunch of other things we can do. And so I salute the uh, the people at the center of Time's Up and uh, well done. And I look forward to seeing what happens next because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that some more stuff will. You don't raise $14, 15000000 million, you know, and then well, I guess you can do nothing with it. <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. You can. I, you can. And people have. Yeah. I won't say who, maybe the president of the United States oh. and his foundation. Oh, well, but- no. Oh, he did stuff with that. That went in pockets. But um, yeah. anyway. That's basically the same as not doing anything with it. Yeah. Anyways, um, any thoughts on Seth Meyers' monologue? Uh, the monologue I thought was fine. I appreciated that they um, brought uh, jokes Seth can't tell to that I thought that um, was good. Format. Yeah, it was smart. <laughs> and that I thought that was a smart idea. Um, and I appreciated how very game for it, like Jessica Chastain especially was. Mm-hmm. Um, Issa Rae was also very game for it as well. Um, so I appreciated that aspect of it. Uh, but otherwise it was fine. I, I, he did the best he could in a situation which it was like, maybe we should have replaced you with someone given the (laughs) political context of this. But it was probably also a little late to do that from a production standpoint and also from a contractual standpoint that I think of if anyone was not going to have an issue with it from a contractual standpoint, Myers would have been like, yeah, it's fine. Let's do it. Yeah. No, I thought you did a good job. I thought it was fun. And they kept things moving for the most part. And uh, Oprah slayed. And then uh, Natalie Portman was hilarious right after and very pointed and props to Ron Howe. Did you hear about this? No, oh. I have no idea actually what Portman, what happened. With Portman. Okay, so so it was just a little thing, but uh, oh, Natalie Portman came out with Ron Howard in the first 
award first thing after Oprah's big speech um, to do the award for best directing. So when they, they okay. did their spiel back and forth and then Nat, uh, Natalie Portman was supposed to say, and the the nominees are, but she said instead, she there was this like look on her face. It was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Uh, and the all male nominees are, and then they, mm-hmm. then they cut and then Ron Howard, of course, reacts to that. Cause he knows he's not, that's not what she was supposed to say. And then they cut immediately to the director, directing nominees and they all have reactions on their faces as well. Yeah. And when in an evening when Lady Bird won best film and best, uh, lead performance, uh, and wasn't even nominated for direction, that was very pointed and certainly. You know, and, and Natalie Portman has been a, a defender of, of women directors in the past, too. That's a big reason yeah. why she bowed out of all the Marvel films because of Marvel's treatment of Patty Jenkins. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a nice little, uh, inclusion, <laughs> like little, little things she could throw in there. And of course, there are a number, there are a number of, of women directors with very notable, highly praised, highly critically acclaimed films this year, not just Greta Gerwig. Um, and any of them would have been worthy additions. And it's the Golden Globes. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. you're not going to – there's there's an abundance of people who are, are all of a similar tier where it would make sense for them to be nominated for the Golden Globes. It's not, you know – you. I don't know. I, You know how I feel about the Globes nominees. Most of these – I was like – if these two win, I'm cool with it. I don't care about any of these other three. You know, they're not always yeah. the most discerning. Sometimes they are, but usually not. Yeah. Anyway, so I enjoyed little moments like that and Frances McDormand almost getting political as close as she's willing to get and and all of that. So it was, it was um, a surprisingly fun show to watch in five-minute snippets after the fact. <laughs> ah. Uh-huh. Just still highly recommend watching the Golden Globes. Anyways, um, let's move on to the actual week in scripted TV uh, and also some quasi-scripted reality. Uh, let's talk about the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend premiere. Nathaniel needs my help. Uh, I, were you surprised by this? Uh, the, it was such a straight one-for-one retread of, of some of what we've seen. But then, of course, the episode ends with Rebecca recognizing the pattern and breaking up with Nathaniel. I appreciated that it ended with uh, breaking up with Nathaniel because Mm -hmm. I really needed that for the episode to have any sort of weight to it. Because otherwise it was aggressively retread on both of its large plots of like, this is why you don't get actively involved in people's lives, everyone. Mm -hmm. And this is something that the show was hit home multiple times, especially on Paula's side of things of like, getting too involved is bad for my health, bad for my relationships with my family. I need to stop doing this. And then she just goes and does it again with um, Daryl and finding a um, surrogate or egg donor. Which one was it? It was an egg donor because he he had a surrogate already. Yeah, he had a surrogate already. So yeah, an egg donor. And so it, it was kind of a frustrating sort of episode to go through in that it was just we've been here before sort of, for both of them. So that was, that was a little, that, that caused the episodes to sort of like lug around a little bit for me, as much as I liked how it was played out for both of these plots. I was also, it never went someplace new until the very end when Rebecca recognizes that there's an actual problem that she's, then takes an actual step to remedy that problem. So I appreciate it from that perspective, but I don't know that I needed a whole episode in which that was the central tension of it. It could have been a half episode and you have that realization halfway through and then you deal with the fallout of that, as opposed to doing that presumably in 
the next this week's episode yeah yeah well and and uh i actually thought they did a good job of, of pointing to the various um familiar patterns with uh, nathaniel yeah. and josh but i thought they also could have made it a little more pointed some of the other ones with greg too because of course the stanford mm-hmm. shirt and the Emory shirt and and all that um i don't maybe they're just hoping we forgot that greg was there <laughs> except we've referenced greg like at already like kind of heavily this season right between his dad yeah and then uh the butt dial call yeah so yeah i it was uh, yeah anyways that that was interesting that they so hit hit the Josh stuff really heavily and then kind of just let you remember the Greg stuff. I I thought yeah having all three of the storylines be A B and C plot be on a similar theme of no these are destructive behaviors you y'all really need to stop. Uh, maybe yeah. was a bit much and and we saw that with with Josh spinning his wheels as well. Um, yeah. Fortunately, there was a lot of joy to the stuff Daryl was bringing and that helped mm-hmm. with that corner of it. I also really like. Yeah. Daryl's um, response being, no, I do want you involved. I want, I like when you yeah. meddle because it's, you know, like you have to take it to a healthy level, but he doesn't want yeah. her to just check out of his life. Right. Remember, she's his best friend, even though he's even not your, hers. Not hers. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that song very much. So much. <laughs> so much. Anyways, so I thought it was a solid episode, but it was a little bit of a place-setting episode as far as, like, getting things where they needed to be for the next thing. I was surprised that we found out that Rebecca no longer has a job. So that was – we'll see what happens with that. Um, I also really liked All the Time We Got with George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, I really like when the show allows those um, – that trio of folks, George, uh, Maya, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Tim? Tim. Yeah, Tim. And then there's a fourth guy. Oh, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy who, who Mrs. Hernandez was like, you're doing this? And he's like, it's catchy. <laughs> yes. Him. Yeah. Um, I like when they get like little moments to shine mm-hmm. um, or like spotlight sort of supporting spotlight sort of episodes. So I always like when those uh, that can be worked in. So I, I appreciate it. I always appreciate George, and I'm glad George still has a job. Yes, yes. <laughs> Even though it doesn't make any sense, but we're going to go with it because yeah. it's, it's the George is getting coffee song. Come on. Yeah. Um, let's, I could spin my wheels here a little bit about this, that part of the show, I think. Uh, so let's instead, let, let's move on. We love you, Crazy Girlfriend Ensemble. Uh, we also love the Blackish Ensemble. So this week we had Inheritance. Uh, we had Dre talking about, uh, you know, the a health scare or like a funeral you know, bringing conversations up with Ruby and Dre and his sister about, you know, what they're going to do with, uh, you know, if something should happen to Ruby, you know, who, how are they going to handle the family inheritance that she has built up over her, her life? Um, so it was nice to, to see that. So I always appreciate when they bring Raven Simone on as Dre's sister, but mostly, most of the heart of this one was, was Bo undervaluing and then very very much valuing junior's help so uh what did you think of inheritance i really liked the bow and junior stuff a lot this week mainly because for like the past 10 episodes well past nine episodes not counting the premiere which was its own little like pocket um episode of like junior's been so actively involved in raising little Devante. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's been background stuff in a lot of cases, like the skin-to-skin contact stuff that he was doing, and just, like, carrying Devontae around a whole lot. But it was always, like, A, background, B, played for jokes. Again, like, the skin, the skin-to-skin the skin contact thing that Junior was like, he needs this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But in Inheritance, it becomes very clear that this is super important to the functioning of the family, that Junior is available to do this. And I really liked how they transitioned that from a joke to, no, this is an actual thing that, A, we were aware we were doing, and B, we decided to make it an important aspect of Bo going back to trying to be Bo, but also balancing everything else out and how really important Junior was to this from buying the cereal to getting glue sticks. Mm -hmm. Also, why is Junior the only one responsible for the cereal? I have questions about how this family responsibilities are done. Does he not buy the other groceries too? Is it just the cereal? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think that makes a lot more sense when Bo was at work uh, as a doctor. I mean, because obviously Dre works pretty long hours. It seems like, you know, he's got a pretty... Does he? Does he? Well, he spent a lot of time at work, even if they're just sitting yeah. around the coffee table there, the, the conference table, yeah. discussing way too personal details of their each other's lives. Um, but having two parents who work long hours, it makes sense that, that Junior would step in and take care of it, especially as that's in his personality. He's a nurturer and caregiver mm-hmm. to, yeah. to step up and do that. And he would, I could very easily imagine him wanting that responsibility very excited and proud to be able to do that um mm-hmm. and so then with Bo not going back to work immediately you're like extending her um maternity leave for a while and then theoretically taking a break from from her job and hoping she can get back into her field later uh that would shift up the dynamic and um it, we haven't seen a lot of that yet but I would be surprised yeah. if the show completely forgot about it uh, and certainly having her at home all the time means she's spending a lot more time with Junior as well as, as of course, Devante, which she knew that w- that would happen. But the, the twins are kind yeah. of off on their own more. Um, and so, yeah, having that relationship with her and, and, and Junior explored a little bit more and, and validated like all of the stuff that he does. I thought was really lovely. And Rashida Jones is fantastic. <laughs> I love this. Both sides of this extended family. The casting is yes. terrific and just, they need to bring her back every night. Like I, I need an episode with Rashida Jones and Debbie Diggs now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. Imagine yeah. if he had been in this episode, you know, yeah. she, when she's starting her church. Been- yeah, it's too bad he's got his own show starting on TNT soon. I'm very excited about David Diggs' Snowpiercer, let me just say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. I am too. Even if I don't... That movie's fine-ish. It's very good. I'm, I strongly disagree. But yeah. that's a conversation for a movie <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to get into here with Blackish, or should we head over to reality? Yeah, no, let's talk about uh, Top Chef. Uh, now that's a lot of schnitzel. Um, how did you feel about this episode? Um, and <sighs> Leanne. Yeah, no, we, we kind of saw that one coming. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't super surprised when Leanne pulled out based on the kind of edit they were giving her. And it's disappointing, but I would, after this appearance, I would be very surprised if they didn't invite her back for right. for another season in the future when they do this kind of a thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Or they just give her a slot and, like, yeah. they're just like, you have a slot when you want to come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like they did um, for Eureka in, in a drag race when she had to leave mm-hmm. because of her knee. Um, so, so, yeah, I would 
be very surprised that that's the last we saw of Leanne. I, I love that she just came in and just was destroying in her like one episode. Like they were like licking the wooden plates uh, yeah. out the side of the mountain because it was so delicious. So like if you're only going to be in one episode, do it right. And she did it right. Yeah. Uh, I think I like how relieved everyone was too. It's just like, oh, we're sad, but thank God. Yeah, I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> I'm so sad you're not going to be here to beat us all. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was pretty great. I thought this episode uh, was, first of all, as a person who has a yearly schnitzelnacht uh, event that is tradition now with my college friends and myself, uh, I mm-hmm. enjoyed the German food and the discussion, some of the, the stuff that they were doing and some of the stuff that they were uh, – uh, whether it was too germ – like too traditional or not German enough or like the different takes. Some of those, or uh, not German at all or not German at all. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that. Um, but I, so I, it was very interesting and fun to me. I'm curious though. I think we should talk a little bit and that's why I put it on the show list here to talk about the show's treatment of alcohol. And when they have, you know, chefs on who are recovering alcoholics and, you know, you could say it is a similar situation where if it was, too triggering and upsetting, you have the option to leave. But I feel like that's a very facile answer to a complicated uh, issue. And uh, right. I was very grateful that Chris had immunity and then ended up not being on the bottom. Because if he got sent home in an episode that we really threw out loop because he is, you know, only has only been sober for a few years and it almost destroyed his entire life. I mean, that's a shitty move by, by Top Chef. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's I when they wanted him when they wanted like someone to pair to make the Rattler basically, mm-hmm. and it's just like you're you have to be aware that he's a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. Um, when you're designing when you're like designing the challenges and everything, and it's just like, eh, we're gonna do this anyway, and it's just like, mm, I feel like the show bears like a degree of responsibility for this. Um, like, but at the same, could they could ahead. they have given him let him make a non alcoholic right drink? Yeah, it's like yeah, because that would be in some ways a more challenging task than just mm-hmm. smushing some fruit up and pouring it into some beer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I I really feel like that there should have been like an allowance made for that, but. I agree with you in terms of like it's it's good he added immunity considering that he bought pre-made sausage, bought pre-made bread, and um made a slider. Yeah. Um but you're I agree with you in that if he hadn't had immunity and they like put him in even in the bottom would have been like it's not on him with this, guys. It's it's not. Yeah. And I appreciate that they like made room for him to mention this a couple of times, and in the Talking Heads segments, and mention no, I've I've only been sober for a little while, and also being just in the bar and going through the motions of this put me in a really bad headspace, and it is it's I think that's a really reasonable thing for him to have experienced, and especially again given how how little how how early he is in recovery um that yeah it's it i was really glad that they made space for it and i'm really glad that he had immunity yeah but i I think that the show does bear like some degree of responsibility and that they just kind of designed this challenge with 
a chef Teston who is a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that they know that they, you know, yeah. like that comes up in their questioning and stuff that I don't think they're surprised. They, they have the photos ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, yes, it's a German festival and beer is a big part of that. But don't yeah. tell me there isn't somebody there at that festival who would really appreciate there being a non-alcoholic right. option. Yeah. So I don't. I, yeah, I don't. absolutely. And it's and it's. So, go ahead. And I mean, I know that there's a long like. I mean, this has been something that I've seen like on Chopped multiple times, where you have contestants who are um, either just don't drink for religious reasons or are recovering alcoholics, and they have to cook with some sort of alcoholic beverage and then they can't taste their dish because mm-hmm. they have to include it and then they can't drink they can't uh taste the dish because it has alcohol in it mm-hmm. and i think that that's one of those things where if you're on chopped or top chef like cooking with alcohol is a part of the cuisine but when you have design challenges especially like on top chef which needs lead time to book restaurants get get stuff pulled together for uh challenges like you know what you're doing basically mm-hmm. and yeah 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 well and um yeah it, it just there's a difference between like and you need to pair these turlato wines with the meal because yeah. you can just get a, like a description of the notes and and do it that way versus having yeah. to actually and, and then like we're gonna hang out in a bar and drink at the yeah. bar and then we're gonna do this and like let give that person give chris the option to just like come in for the meal don't make him sit yeah. at the bar drinking, yeah. you know, if he's not comfortable doing that. So anyways, I, I would appreciate listeners, if you have any thoughts on this and, and what, you know, how appropriate it is for the show to do this, these kinds of challenges. It's not the first time they've done this kind of challenge. Um, I would yeah. I would be curious. They do, these, they do these at least once a season now, I feel like. Yeah. Some sort of alcohol pair. Yeah. Yeah. Or like design a cocktail or that kind of yeah. that kind of stuff. But I. Having them hang out in a bar to do it is, I think, a different element to it. And then, like, yeah, you know, anyways, I would appreciate other people's thoughts on this as well. Let's go to The Amazing Race, though. You're the best friends forever, because I don't really care what other people think at a certain point about this one. I am firmly anti this head to head thing. It's weird and not every challenge is technically sort of head to head, guys. You don't need an actual one at the end. Well, it's bullshit. And here's why. You, there's like the, when the the team Yale finally yeah. made it through. Oh, the only reason they made it through is because they beat out the only other not super ripped team. This yeah. the only there was no way they were going to beat the firefighters. That's why when Henry went up, uh, Evan said it's now or never because they knew the only people they had a shot of maybe beating at a physical challenge one to one was going to be the yoga ladies, the goat yoga ladies. Uh, mm-hmm. and and so, like. This is already a way overstacked physical set of contestants. Mm-hmm. You basically have one, maybe they're saying the yoga guys or two. Like, oh, there's only a couple sets of these teams that their their advantage is problem solving, uh, intellectual, like pattern recognition, that kind of a thing. The rest of them yeah. all have already have a physical advantage. And so many of these challenges are suited towards that anyways. So that when you make it where it's like, the more you do it, the more tired you get, the weaker you get. You're already set, you're setting up your only non-physical team to just lose every single time. And it's not interesting when all of your teams have the same strength. 
That's really boring. It didn't matter how quickly they got through all the other challenges because they were not going to be better at a one-for-one physical challenge than any of these other teams. So it's boring, it's frustrating, and I don't think it's fair. Unless they're going to make all of them do a puzzle, you know? The first one to get done with the puzzle, now here's a new puzzle every time because if you, you you know... I I just, I I thought that was uh, some bullshit. Yeah, it's, it wasn't... Everything you said is correct, and it's one of those things in which, like, why why do you have this sort of a race when you already have, like, for me, it's just like, you already have enough sort of races in here, and your point about a number of challenges is already being physical enough as it is, that you don't need another one, especially one where it's just like, oh god, it has, everyone knows trolleys are terrible, hand trucks are terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of moving things, let alone having to move them at a high speed. And so it it was just really frustrating, but it was also, like, to your point, it was just also really boring to watch after a certain point, especially with this many, like, what, this many, like, races that they have to do. It's just like, oh, okay, we're going to do another one. Oh, we're going to do another one. I kind of just want to go back to the jewelry and the math, guys. That was compelling television. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and, and the more you watch it, the sadder it gets, the less fun it gets. And and if it was something where the, if they did a head to head where you couldn't move on until you beat somebody, and if you were last, then you had to go through it one more time, but then you could go, Mm -hmm. that would be a different thing. Because then you're slowing them down, but it's not a one for one, you will be eliminated. Yeah. And and that you know then maybe that's something you could experiment with, but to have the finish map be right there, and not to have like another challenge in between where maybe theoretically you can make up the difference, like yeah. if they had had a big puzzle or intellectual challenge or map reading or I don't know something else like that after that, right. if they had to do go through that and then go do the puzzle, like like go do the printing press thing or the the jewelry thing, that would have been yeah. very different. But it wouldn't have. I think so too. Yeah, it wouldn't have yeah. been the photo finish that they wanted. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I, no, I was no, not I th- Yeah, no, I, and I think that's a good point of like switching up the order of these would have made a world of difference in terms of what, how this gets executed. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just even combining them and doing like, all right, here's a physical challenge. Now you have to do a mental one in terms of you're exhausted from doing this. Well, now you have to do this mental thing of like whatever art based thing yeah. is associated with uh, Amsterdam. And have fun. Yeah. Um, and then you get to go on the mat <laughs> if you complete that part first. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I don't know. We'll see if the, the, I'm assuming there's more of these coming this season. Yeah. We'll see what structure they give to the rest of them. But like, yeah, it just got, I was just getting annoyed and irritated watching it. Like the fourth, I'm like, cause I just see the next team come up. I'm like, there's, look at their arms, look at their arms. <laughs> There's a 0% chance that the Yaleys are going to win <laughs> until they get to the yeah. yoga team. Um, yeah, I, I was not sad about seeing Goat Yoga eliminated, though they were much better this yeah. episode. They were much better this episode, but I, I'm I'm so Team Yale mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm just like, I, I'm sorry, Goat Lady, Yoga Goat Ladies, but I really want Team Yale to like have at least one more episode. <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see we'll see how they do um moving forward but i mean like that's gotta be exhausting i will yeah like i would not want to be doing that and like in the fry thing too and just yeah no thank you so on that note on that note of no thank you yes thank you to which of these shows what wins your week in comedy and reality 
Um, that's a great question. Uh, we didn't discuss it, um, but I liked a good place a lot this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think I'll give it to Blackish this week. Um, I think I had like the most fun in terms of like balanced sort of episodes. So I think I'll give it to Blackish this week. What about you? Oprah. Oprah? Okay. Yeah. Oprah wins. Just Oprah. Oprah yeah. wins my week in comedy and reality. Thank you for that amazing speech that was telling everybody else they should get out and get involved and not saying that she was going to run for president. People totally yeah. misread that speech. Anyways, Oprah wins my week in comedy and reality. Uh, now we'll take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with our week in drama and genre. That was California Sun by the Ramones, featured in this week's episode of The X-Files. This week in Drama and Genre, I'm going to kick things off with a little talk about The Shy, which had its pilot uh, this week on Showtime. Then we'll both talk Star Trek Discovery and their mid-season premiere, Despite Yourself. Uh, next, we'll move on to the Marvel's Runaways season finale, Hostile. Then we'll talk X-Files this, and we'll round things out with Steven Universe, Lars of the Stars, and Jungle Moon. Bingo bongo, Kate. Bingo bongo. Bingo bongo. Uh, first up is The Shy, uh, which I thought was a really strong pilot. I, listeners, I didn't realize it was a drama uh, because I know Lena Waithe from comedy things. Uh, I did not realize she was doing a drama. So as I was watching, I kind of kept waiting for it to turn to be funny. And then at a certain point, I looked down at the time at the bottom. I was like, oh, that makes way more sense okay, this has been really, really good. I was watching it wrong. That makes so much more sense. I thought it was a really uh, well done uh, premiere, a very very confident pilot, and I'm looking forward to, to how things develop moving forward. Are, are you going to check out The Shy or no? No, I am. I just didn't have time this week. Slash, okay. I knew it was a drama. <laughs> and um, I, I really just didn't like have like mental bandwidth this week uh, mm-hmm. for that. So I just kind of went... I'll, I'll circle back to it later, and I, I'll probably have time to do that this weekend. Uh, but you recommend that I do that? Yeah, no, it's really good. Okay. And uh, there's some, uh, speaking, we were just talking about Top Chef, there's some restaurant scenes that were really, really neat and certainly reminded me of uh, some of the stuff I enjoyed in Treme. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I, I will then not say much more because I don't want to spoil okay. you for anything. So thank you. Uh, but I certainly appreciated Sonia Son shows up um as one of, in one of the roles. It was great seeing her on my TV again. And yeah, this is a very talented cast. So I look forward to talking about it with you when you catch up. Let's move swiftly on to Star Trek Discovery and called it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, called it, but I think the first thing we got to talk about is Star Trek uh, Discovery burying uh, their gays and yeah. um, potentially unburying them. Uh, some of yeah. the stuff Wilson Cruz has been saying. Makes and the producers this, as well. Yeah, it makes it sound like they're going to undo this with like a time jump with the spore drive or something. 
Like, Stamets is gonna, like, sacrifice himself to reset time or something. I don't know. Which would still be burying a gay. Right. But, um, yeah. If you know you're gonna undo it, and this is gonna be really upsetting to a significant fan base of, of yours, don't do it! Right. Yeah, no, like, one of the producers was talking to Entertainment Weekly, and he was just like, I'm aware of the barrier gaze trope, and I'm also an openly gay man, so I get it, but, and it's just, oh, no, you said but, man, Mm -hmm. no, it's just like, you don't, I don't care if you have a plan, you, 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 you just, you, you kept this going, and it's just like, yeah, that's not okay, and you kept it going for our, uh, brainwashed, totally a Klingon, Totally a Klingon. Yeah, he's uh, Vok. That explains guy. where the where Vok went. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that's why we were spending all that time over there so they could do this twist. They're very excited about this twist. Yeah, they are for no real valid reason. No, I mean, like, I get it now, and now several of their other decisions make sense. Yeah. Um, but it's like, guys, this isn't all. Like all those scenes you did in Klingon only were not worth this twist. No. You didn't, you didn't need any of those other scenes. You could have done one standalone episode with that and like, and that would have been fine. Um, And I I feel like there's a little bit more to impact for what they do with Tyler, but yeah, everything with Wilson Cruz's character is just, I, I really got very, like I shouted at the television screen, Kate. mm -hmm. I got very angry when this happened and I was just like, no, no, you don't, you don't get to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) With this sort of a character, with this sort of a relationship, and... Well, and when it's your first queer character in the history of Star Trek, with the exception, I guess, of alt-universe John Cho Sulu. Yeah. But but, but that barely counts. Like, that's that's one kiss in, like, the deep deep background of a scene of a scene and then they walk into the sunset with their daughter i mean like this is your first queer couple in star trek history and you pull this shit yeah it's it's really it's not okay and it, it speaks to the degree to which this is again a type a take of star trek that is leaning more towards wanting to be dark and gritty and like grounded in violence mm-hmm. um and it's just like oh so anyone can die which you've established by killing off women of color multiple times already so yeah yeah now let's kill off the queer man of color good for everyone <laughs> yep yeah uh captain killy was fun you know the tearing yeah. empire stuff was all fun like it took a while for the episode to catch up to where the audience knew yeah. we were and that was a little tiresome but they, you know, once they got there, there was, you know, good stuff. Uh, Sneak with Martin Green continues, I think, to be very compelling. Uh, but I really don't care about Tyler. So all the stuff we know is coming with them, like, I'm not excited for. And the one, the thing about Tyler that I'm sort of frustrated with, and my person, like, pointed this out on Twitter while she was watching it, was that it upends and detracts from the PTSD storyline that they kind of started to set up, which is mm-hmm. something that is still like underrepresented and underdiscussed in media and um now it's well sort of but really it's just his klingon self trying to come through now and mm-hmm. it just went well that's not a ptsd story anymore everyone that's 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 a manchurian candidate story and that is very different yeah <laughs> did you like that they actually named it the manchurian protocols 
I, I, I like sort of didn't catch that, but that is sort of amusing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that was just that it was really frustrating from that angle as well. Uh, apart from also just, I don't care about Tyler. Um, <laughs> and I'm, tell me how you feel about this. Um, like I'm intrigued by the fact that they're going into the Terran empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is a way for the, for this, Again, grounded, more grounded in a violent sort of approach to Star Trek to be exposed to a actual violent version of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and what that, how that gets represented and how that plays off against the morality of these characters that, as I've said multiple times, would be the villains in literally any other Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how that plays out. And like, Yes, of course, Terran Empire Lorca would try to stage a coup because, of course, he would. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you feel about, like, is this a way for them to sort of comment on themselves in a way of, like, going into this? Or are they just not self-aware enough to do that? Um, I think that that may be some of where some of the various creative forces were coming from. I don't necessarily think that's what... uh, what the current incarnation of the show is most invested in. Yeah. And I'm going to leave it there. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so that's what I was curious about when I was watching. I was just like, all right, so how do they deal with actually being in a universe where Lorca's war by any means? Yeah. Guidelines are for plebes sort mm-hmm. of thing. Context is for Kings um, stuff is actually carried through on a much larger scale than Lorca. I just want to win this war sort of thing. And so I'm really curious about how that um, plays out. Um, One other thing I want to float by you is uh, my person's friend that she was watching it with uh, suggested a really great idea. And I want to get your take on this is what if mud is the emperor? Oh, that might be fun. Yeah, I, that might be fun. Well, because the way they are like loading, that was a capital they're, E emperor. They're loading it really hard because there's only so many people it could be. Maybe it's Michael's father who we know died. Maybe mm-hmm. I would say like it could be Sarek, except maybe. But but Sarek, uh, it's not is Sarek. A Vulcan. He shows he shows up in the previews for the next next okay. episode. So he's yeah, among with the rebels then. Yeah, um, yeah. Like there's only so many people it could even be. It could be. Uh, um, Oh my goodness! What's Michelle Yeoh's character? It could be Michelle Yeoh. Like that would yeah. be super a super fun way to bring her back. Um, have yeah. they used gender pronouns with the Emperor yet? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. so so just that the Emperor is ruthless and yeah. hidden in shadows. Yeah, no, I, I think that would be a really fun way to do it. Um, I think that Mud is too much of a wild card. Yeah. For that to be, like, I think in the moment that would be fun, but I think it would really right. unravel the more you thought about it. You know, I think yeah, there's, no, some, absolutely. <laughs> there's more dramatic potential with somebody like, like, uh, yo, but, um, it's certainly something we're going to see. Yeah. 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 I was just curious because <laughs> I was tickled by that idea. <laughs> no, it is. It's a fun idea. It's certainly a fun idea, but I think they're going to go another way with it. I have a feeling, but we'll, we, we, we shall see. We shall see. Um, let's move on to our next show, which is the season finale of Marvel's Runaways. So we had, I, I realized when I sat down to watch this one that I thought I had watched like, I had actually missed episode nine of Runaway. Oh, okay. So then I had to wow, go back. you must have been really confused. Yeah, I was, I was like, whoa, 
end of the what's going on okay now i need to and then then i was i caught up and it made a lot more sense how'd you feel about the decision um to basically make the parents unwilling rubes as opposed to evil I was okay with it, um, given, like, the amount of time that we've seen them built up um, across mm. the season. And, and, I mean, we can get into the structure of the season a little bit as we deal with the finale. But I was okay with them as sort of unwilling rubes, as they thought that they were doing something else. And then, no, turned out not so much. And I like that this, again, comes out as they're sort of fracturing as their kids are coming together. So the the uh, symmetry of that, of the kids coming together while the family and pride is falling apart, um, allows that to, like, work for me in a way that I was, that I don't think otherwise would have worked. And I think that a lot of it is also helped by just the frank of it all. <laughs> um, uh, is really good is he's aligning himself with something that a he doesn't understand but is willing to do it because he's so desperate to be a part of anything that it, it adds another layer to things that i really I, that i really like so i'm okay with it even if it does sort of create space for the parents and the kids to team up which i'm less enthused about yeah i don't um just having Jonah just be the real baddie is really simple and less yeah. interesting and certainly less challenging and positioning it where we can have the parents and the kids reunite. Like their parents killed 15 people. Right. And are framing, are framing them for another murder. Yeah. Like, like, um, well, who that could have been Jonah who did that, Yeah, but the, like, but still like it should not be as pat as they're setting it up to be able to resolve it into being. Yes, so that, that's, yeah, I, I, we'll see what they do in season two. I can see why they have these characters. They spend all this time and this energy on these characters. They don't want them to just be villains. They want, you know, they would love to be able to have them on the good side again. But yeah. I don't know how well that works if you want to, if you're going to be honest to what they've set up in this season. And uh, and, it, and what separates this episode from other, or this, I should say this show, from other superhero shows or other kids shows. Like, where the, like the kids are the heroes and like the parents are the antagonists and everything. Um, it just, I hope they don't lose what makes them interesting. Yeah, and I think that's a fair thing to worry about because there's a very again a very ends justifies the means sort of thing with them. It's like, well, we kill 15 people, but we save so many others in doing this, mm-hmm. and we've erected this massive infrastructure within this city to to achieve this end. Um, that there's a morality issue there that can still be explored and exploited. But when Jonah, like you said, is the actual like big bad here, then it becomes an issue of like, well, what do you do now that you're not, you're, you're, everything's been a lie. And how do you, how do you rectify that in a way that makes sense for everyone on sort of a, on a dramatic level? And I don't know that I worry that they like you, I worry that they can't. Yeah, the notion that these parents would kill 15 children and then would balk at killing a di- another child, you know? Yeah. Like, I really had trouble with that. That's what they were trying to sell us real hard in this finale. It's like, um, I tried to warn Amy, you know, but Jonah got to her first. It's like, but did you? But did you really? Yeah. Like, that's that seems, that's too easy. And And I think the show wants us to believe them in this episode. And that's, you know. 
I have a hard time buying it, I guess. So it's just, again, it simplifies things in a way I'm not excited about. What I am excited about is them committing to the different ships that they spent, you know, the season working up to. I like the, the, deviation from the comic as far as i understand it with carolina and nico and like really just going all in with that um as opposed to leaving it subtextual or just like a one-sided thing yeah i think it's mostly one-sided in the comic right yeah i think so yeah and i liked them just going there with chase and gert in this uh like these episodes i i liked what we got with with old lace and that puppet, we that we I should have done this more, but like shouldn't have worked. Should have gone to old lace. It occurred to me I should have yeah. given them the more of that because that dinosaur shouldn't work. But I am very invested in that dinosaur now. Oh, guys, always bring the dinosaur. <laughs> always, just always. no. I don't always. <laughs> if you have a choice between, should I bring our pet dinosaur who's super awesome, and we just have to make sure, obviously, we feed the dinosaur, or do I not bring our dinosaur? You bring the dinosaur always bring the dinosaur yeah um so how did you feel about the overall sort of like structure of this and that it took us basically 10 episodes for the kids to actually run away um and like i know for like a lot of comics fans in particular like the response to this season was basically but they run away in the first issue why did we wait nine hours for them to 10 hours really for them to actually run away here and then because there's all this apparently this very good character driven stuff after they run away that they can explore and that kind of thing so this decom this massive decompression of the narrative well elongation of the narrative i should say um i i i feel like it like helped for the most part and especially given that they really wanted to establish the parents right up front a lot more than they necessarily get established, I think, in the comics. Um, but I take the point of, like, it took basically the the Netflix model of, oh, well, season one's kind of like a pilot season where we just do a bunch of shit and set everything up. And that, I think, ends up what ends up happening here, even if it was more entertaining than I think a lot of season one Netflix shows uh, or streaming shows for that matter at this point can be. But how do you feel about that? I, I think that having the kids run away like in the pilot or the second episode wouldn't have been as effective and they the spending the time really building up the characters has will pay greater dividends if they commit to the characters and don't backpedal yeah. um however they did not need 10 episodes they, yeah say, no it, they definitely did not need 10 so like it should have been like a shortened first season or like mid-season break would have been fine you could definitely feel them stretching out uh, yeah so, so they're like now we're gonna go to the dance like but you already went to like the ball and you went to this other thing like you guys are stretching, filling for time and to get your people, your cast, your very pretty young cast into pretty clothes. Like, uh, yeah, I could really feel, you could really feel the, the edges of that. But um, yeah. I, do, I don't think that following the straight model of like the, the comic, doing it just right away off in the in the beginning of the season would have necessarily been as, as successful for a TV show um, yeah. as it is in the comic. Yeah, we'll see what they do now that they have run away. But I definitely feel like they are much more committed and connected to each other um, here and right. certainly the audiences than they would have been in if they had just run away in the first episode. And certainly, like, yeah. 
there's a lot of dynamics at play, let alone there's a dinosaur <laughs> and yeah. superpowers, like getting to see them figure out some of these different things while they were still in their normal routine, I think helped us connect with that and really understand them better. Um, and certainly, like you said, if we we're going to know the parents at all, we want to see the parents normal before we up in the apple cart and have them run away. Yeah. 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 And I think your point about like either the shortened season or sort of having them run away in episode like five or six, even yeah. seven, like at the latest, I think would have shifted things a lot more and then you have three episodes of either you end with episode seven or you have three episodes of being on the run and getting used and acclimated to that and fleshing out what is very, uh, what I'm assuming is like a adaptation of the series mole mm -hmm. uh, storyline as well. Um, and seeing how that plays out as well. Um, I think, I think would have been, would have served them probably better than like you said, like you can feel them feeling padding things out a little bit. Yeah. I will say though the I thought the effects for Carolina were just gorgeous. Right. Yeah, no, they look super good. Yeah. And uh, it was a fun confrontation there. So I will be back yeah. for season 2. Are you back for season 2? Oh yeah, I'm definitely back for season 2. I like I like both both sides of this cast too much not to come back for a second season. Mm -hmm. Um and so yeah, no, I'm definitely game for a second season. What about the X-Files? Talk about second season, second premiere, basically. Yeah. Because this, which is a just... So the, the actual season premiere had to deal with all the stuff in the season 10 cliffhanger finale, which was yeah. terrible. And the premiere was terrible. I thought this was a much... This <laughs> was a much better start to season 11 and actually was fun and had much of stuff that didn't make any sense and had nonsensical distrust of Skinner. But it felt much more like the good flavor of X-Files of old and was a lot more fun. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree in that it felt much more like a season premiere of like, no, this is the new world that we're operating in of like, no one trusts the FBI anymore. And the mm -hmm. executive branch is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just all this like over political stuff. Plus a Russian, a Russian private security task force is on their heels. Now mm -hmm. I'm just like, you guys are a little heavy handed here. I don't really care. <laughs> and, um, so I appreciated how all of that was playing out, but it, it felt again, very much like a second, premiere episode which was weird it was just weird and mm -hmm. as much as i enjoyed some of it and as sassy as both of them were at different points in this episode from scully almost shooting a guy in a bar because she's so <laughs> tired to them just deciding no we're not going to clean up right now <laughs> um was really really good so i i i also like really enjoyed this episode um and yeah yeah it was it was it was fine it's a flavor of x-files i prefer much more um even if i sort of balked at like barbara hershey's presence uh is like a weird way to do sort of a monster of the week episode but that continues a thread of the mythology mm -hmm. whereas i would have just been like i don't know guys i would have been just much happier if langley's disembodied brain was reaching out to everyone by, by via smartphones mm -hmm. i think that would have been incredible yeah and the patriots they never win ever <laughs> ever ever yeah, that was delightful. Yeah, it was fun. And it was a creative way to bring back uh, at least Langley, one of the, the lone yeah. gunmen. And uh, we'll see what they do next. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling much more optimistic about the season after this episode. Uh, let's move on, though, to our last episode in the Weekend Drama Genre. And that is Steven Universe, Lars of the Stars, and Jungle Moon. 
Noel, I have been waiting to talk about Lars of the Stars since Comic-Con, where they showed the beginning of the episode. Okay. <laughs> with, the, with them popping out of, of Lars's head and the space captain stuff. Um, so, And it lived up to the anticipation. It was delightful. I really enjoyed both of these episodes. What did, what did you think? I loved both of them very much as well. Um, I, I think that the big thing for me, especially watching Lars of the Stars, was, as Steven acknowledges, was Lars's cape. Mm-hmm was so good and also it's just such a nice sort of like gundam slash like code geese um both of these are anime uh series um where they're just outlandish capes especially on code geese um that call back to that so again like steven universe is really good at sprinkling in those kind of homages so i really appreciated it from that aspect but i also just appreciated this really confident sort of like space pirate Lars that we got here and I really liked that aspect but then how sort of fragile that whole facade ends up being for him where he's just like why is Sadie happy without me Mm -hmm. it's like Lars this isn't about you man this is not about you right now (laughs) (laughs) and and so I liked how all of that got to play with like Lars's burgeoning confidence but also the fact that he's still a teenager? How old is Lars? I have no idea how old Lars is supposed to be in Sadie, too. I, I've given up trying to figure it out. Yeah. All right. So let's say, like, early 20s, then. Um, okay. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and just, like, this sort of insecure kid still. Uh, young young adult um, still. And so I liked how all of that played out. And I liked... And so I just really liked Lars of the Stars a whole lot. It was energetic and fun, and it was great to see these characters, the off-colors again, and mm-hmm. uh, they, they, I think they did a good job of, of giving, like, Pradvarada, like, the right stuff and, and the correct amount, so we didn't get tired of, you know, kind of each of their um, quirks. Uh, I liked the, the Stevani stuff that we got. I thought that was terrific, and, you know, it was the central message of life continues. If you leave, life continues without you. You can't expect anything else. I think that's a good message and one that isn't necessarily always sent in these kinds of shows where it's very centered around your heroic lead figure, and that's what all the action revolves around. So I, th- I thought, you know, again, Steven Universe does a terrific job of of taking an aspect of life and really exploring it and in a really healthy and thoughtful way. So that was great. It was also, there were laser battles and and spaceships and it was super cool. And And bird blobs. And bird blobs. Yes, indeed. Uh, And I look forward to seeing what happens should Lars make it to Beach City and and like how he's going to go back to his life and what that will be like for him. Uh, yeah, it should be it should be very interesting when that happens. But uh, for right now, I guess let's go on to Jungle Moon, and yeah. we got to see Pink. Yeah, that was exciting, right? And also, Connie's mom looks so good in yellow diamond outfits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, is that Connie's mom? Why is Connie's mom sound like Patty Lapone? Oh, this is what's happening. Oh. Okay, this is kind yeah. of awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. No, I, I really liked how that played out. I liked the merge, like how Steven's dreams end up getting merged with, again, Connie's consciousness. Uh, since Stevani, an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Is, 
influences how these dreams get represented. And so I really liked that. I really love the design for Pink Diamond. Um, and I like the representation of Pink Diamond as this, no, I want it now, sort of wi- angry w- Willy Wonka kid. <laughs> and so I'm really eager to see how all of that plays out. But I, I, I just, I really enjoyed having an episode that we spend with Stevani um and how how Stevani gets represented in this as being willing to do whatever they can to survive um and including maybe eating an adorable bird blob mm-hmm. <laughs> but fruit is also just as good <laughs> <laughs> they need the protein they need, they protein. need the protein <laughs> they find some legumes uh it's certainly it's uh you know there were certain um porg parallels there that were yeah delightful. unintentional unintentional yeah. but because they animated this a while back i think uh but yeah delightful yeah it was it was a neat way to give us something that we've like seen before sort of well no that we're not gonna have another way to see which is pink yeah. uh, there's no other way to see pink um and to like you said to incorporate connie with that and not just do another straight up dream. like we, we've seen the dreams before but we haven't yeah. seen yeah. It in this way and a fusion dream, basically. Uh, yeah, we've never seen a fusion dream. We've gotten very little of the perspective of what it's like inside the mind of a fusion. Just basically, uh, here comes a thought, and um, yeah. So I thought that uh, it was it was a really interesting and and creative and fun episode, and I look forward to whatever comes next. Whenever we get new episodes, who knows when we're going to get new episodes. Yeah, and hopefully we'll realize it before <laughs> the actual day. <laughs> yeah, the actual day. Um, uh, so there's one other thing that we should uh, sadly have to talk about. Yeah, we, we got to talk this, about. Yeah, we teased this at the top of the show was the fact that um, a corner of the Steven Universe fandom was not particularly happy with uh, Jinx Monsoon uh, voicing Emerald, who is the wonderfully delightful um <laughs> gem military leader that Lars has stolen this star screamer ship from mm-hmm. um and people being really upset that Jinx Monsoon voiced a gem so why don't you explain why they were so upset well Jinx Monsoon is non-binary and prefers mm-hmm. they them pronouns and and that's how they identify and the gems are conceived and thought of as non-binary alien creatures um however most of them have been coded pretty explicitly female and they've had um almost exclusively i would say female voice actors and so because of that there are some well yeah just in case there are any non-binary voice actors that have yeah that i don't don't know about but yeah yeah, Yeah. certainly there haven't been any men who have voiced characters And so some sections of the, the fandom consider a non-binary person voicing a character as a betrayal of um, one of these central tenets of the show. and Or, to be even less charitable to the sections of the fan base that I really don't want to be charitable to, they don't care that Jinx Monsoon is not, uh, identifies as non-binary and they think of them as a dude. Even though they have been very clear and explicit that they are non-binary, and certain sections of the fan base just don't believe or don't care how that how that individual identifies, how they identify with who they are, and that's horrible and completely antithetical to the messaging and themes and tenor and lovely heart of Steven Universe. 
but that doesn't matter to certain parts of the fan base. Um, it's really upsetting to me to to hear um, and read some of the, the feedback that Jinx was getting. Um, fortunately, there was also plenty of really positive feedback, and I, I thought they did a great job. I thought it was a fun character. It's such a small... Such a good character. It's such I a want small so role, much but... more from Emerald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a really... Um, over-the-top kind of character, but that's exactly what we need for for that character and what we need for, for Lars in that moment. And so I thought that Jinx did a terrific job, but there is a dark side of the Steven Universe fandom, and it is ugly, and it is hateful, and it is really depressing. And this is also a fandom that had certain corners of it, you know, try to push, or not try to, but unintentionally, hopefully, push uh, fan artists towards suicide attempts after they had the gall to interpret um, some of the, the show within their fan art in a way that those sets of sections of the fan base didn't approve of. It's just, it's really disgusting that there can be such anger and such hate in a community centered around a show that is, again, the antithesis of that. Right. And I, your point, you, the idea that somehow Jinx Mernstein's presence as a voice actor contradicts the uh, the thesis of the show, I just go, wait, what? What do you think the sh- thesis of the show is exactly? <laughs> because I'm pretty sure the thesis of the show is inclusivity and acceptance and Mm -hmm. charity and um appreciating those differences and incorporating those differences into your understanding and perspectives of the world and how that all informs who you are and your connections to other people and when you reject that it's just like but this is what the show's built on yeah and so it seems really weird that that's your objection and that having a non-by a a non-binary person voice a non-binary entity but biologically anatomically they're male or that it's just like but no that's not how that works anymore and that's not how the show recognizes that it works and that's not how the creators recognize that it works and it it seems really weird that 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 would be the response to something when it's deeply incorporated into the show, especially when you have a character like Stevani, who is very clearly also non-binary, a, yeah, a non-binary character, as like Jungle Moon makes very explicitly clear, yeah, um, really delightfully clear, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really significant and really important, and that this. Uh, backlash occurs in an episode uh, preceding an episode that deals with Stevani. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's really, it's really frustrating and really angering. And so I echo your sentiments about it. And it's just, it's, it's, it's deeply weird and deeply unsettling. And I was glad that like you looped me in on it and like, in and made sure that I saw it. Cause I had like totally missed this mm-hmm. um, entire, just entirely. So I was really glad that you alerted me to this and Isandra like made sure that you knew. Yeah. Um, you could have told me Isandra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always at the televerse at Nolar K same tweet. We, we all want to hear about all. Nobody of it. wants to talk to me. <laughs> no, it's, it's not true. Plenty of people like loop me in on their tweets about shows. It's fine. I'm, I'm just being bitter and silly. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, 
you know, fortunately, the the love I think outweighs the hate, but um, yeah, I hope so. Here at the Televerse, we are fully behind uh, Jinx Monsoon, and as Emerald, just in general, I wasn't huge on on her season of Drag Race. I'm not, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not the hugest Jinx fan. I know friend of the show Allison Shoemaker is like full on board the Jinx train and thinks I'm crazy for not appreciating uh, that you know that part of this of the drag race history as much as as she does but um but certainly terrific performance is emerald and it's one that uh yeah i just i we're we we have plenty of appreciation for jinx monsoon here at the television so we will be going to our next segment with some jinx monsoon singing a giant woman is what we'll be going in between our next segment as but before we go to that uh what was your week in drama and genre uh, it's totally uh, Star Trek Discovery. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not Star Trek Discovery. It's uh, it's Lars and the Stars and Lars of the Stars and Jungle Moon. Uh, what about you? Yeah, definitely Steven Universe. They were very, yeah. very creative and fun and interesting, and and I'm glad that I get to talk about Space Lars now. Yay, good times. Well, on on that note, let's take a break. Listen to Jinx sing uh, some Giant Woman, and we'll be right back with our 2018 TV resolutions. <laughs> All I want to do is see it turn into a giant woman, a giant woman. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. All I want to do is help you turn into a giant woman, a giant woman. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. Oh, I know it will be great and I just can't wait to see the person you are together chance you could do a huge dance because you are a giant woman you might even find you like being together and if you don't it won't be forever but if it were me i'd really want to be a giant woman a giant woman all i want to do is voice a gem for you rebecca sugar we're back with the Televerse. Uh, this is Kate Calls a Twin Ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And last year, Noel, we did our 2017 TV resolutions. I resolved to watch more streaming and YouTube series. You resolved to watch more anime. I think we both achieved our goals. Um, I should have done more. But I did watch more than I had before. So at least something. Uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, on 2017, uh, your resolution? And has that affected sort of the way you approach TV? Um, or are you just grateful to have more anime in your life, in your viewing life? I, I was, I was very grateful to have more anime in my viewing life, especially since they gave me like two shows that I was really, really excited to, uh, discuss. Um, but I also acknowledge that I kind of just completely collapsed in the last basic quarter mm-hmm. of it. And like, I didn't like any of the shows that were available. So I ended up like watching two and I did like five to six episodes of them. And then I just went... I'm I'm good, and we're not going to discuss either of these shows again. I I don't have to watch them, and I did not. So yeah. I I kind of slacked off like right at the end there. Uh, but I made it, made it through an entire resolution. So yeah. I for the most part, I felt very good about that. As someone who very rarely makes resolutions anyway, um, I felt really good about doing this very easy one. <laughs> uh, how did you feel? Like, um, did it like help you appreciate like sort of a different way of presenting narrative or um aesthetically because this is something that we talked about a little bit when we both watched camilla um carmilla carmilla 
Camilla, yeah. Um, but yeah, so tell me a little bit about like your overall experience with watching uh, web series. Yeah, I was glad that, to have done it, and it certainly introduced me to some um, creative forces and uh, actors and directors I was unfam- and writers I was unfamiliar with. I was surprised how hard it was to find recommendations for streaming series if you once you got outside of a particular window of kinds of shows um and if you are avoiding a paywall i was i was very surprised by that like i i started having to do some significant digging to find things that weren't just like day in the life bloggers uh mm-hmm. or vloggers i should say um so I, you know, that's, I think there's an, a need out there and maybe I just didn't find it. Maybe there's plenty of places to find recommendations and I just wasn't looking in the right spots, but I think there is a need out there for, uh, uh, someone to, to be like the person who's in charge of letting everybody know about really great YouTube shows. Cause there's so much volume that you're not, if you just search great streaming shows, 2017, all that comes up is Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, like all the like the big mega platforms trying to find a show um, or a a series that is closed ended and is on YouTube and is really good is actually at least I found it really challenging. So if there's a method of doing that that y'all know about, please tell me because there's some really talented people getting their start there. I mean, obviously, you know, Broad City and Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer and Issa Rae also got her start on YouTube. Like, there's plenty of really talented people out there who are who are trying stuff out and, and getting, you know, their vision and some of their writing out there through YouTube. But I was having a really hard time finding them. Um, so, yeah, that I, that was surprising to me. But certainly I was... Maybe you're just not hip enough. You're not hip with the youths. Oh, that's definitely true. That's yeah. definitely true. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, <laughs> Maybe ask your students next time. I no, I did. I did, did? ask okay. my students, and they mostly don't watch shows. Okay, on YouTube. they watch personalities. Yeah, if they yeah. watch, yeah, if they would share anything. One of them told me about um, some Rooster Teeth shows, but okay. but that was about it. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, like. I was surprised, um, but but I was glad to have watched it and, and get a greater appreciation for what you can do and, and start to have a little bit of a sense of what I like and don't like or what I think are the strengths and weaknesses of shows that are you taking advantage of that platform, um, streaming platform and, and the, you know, first person camera kind of uh, aesthetic that so many YouTube series take advantage of. Um, but yeah, I, so I think I learned a lot, uh, uh, at least a lot, a lot more than I did. <laughs> well, I used to know about it. And I think overall it was, uh, it was a success though. I slacked off and didn't watch as much as I had planned to. That will inform my decision-making and the wording of my resolution for this year. So let's <laughs> toss it over to that. What is your resolution for TV in 2018? Right. So this is something that I had been like mulling to do. And in part, it's sort of a a callback to my resolution for 2016, which was to watch a lot more um, nonfiction television. And so this year, and I've already started, haha, mm-hmm. I'm on top of things, uh, is I'm going to watch local news a lot more. And I'm going to sort of like do compare contrast sort of work um, on tones, on how they approach subjects and just that sort of thing and i'm really curious to see how this plays out i've already like picked up on a couple of things um right now i'm like trying to get in watching the um nbc affiliate 
um, up here in the Seattle metro area. And um, mainly because their schedule is going to become terrible soon <laughs> once the Olympics start. Um, so I was going to make room to watch other um, of the, uh, the other uh, local news outlets up here. Uh, also in part because the ABC affiliate up here is actually owned um, by Sinclair Broadcasting, who those of you who don't know is a fairly fairly is a rather conservative business outlet that has bought up a number of um local uh local um stations in the united states is has been trying to buy has bought the chicago tribune and a mm -hmm. number of other media outlets and is involved in sort of a department of justice sort of merger issue uh but they also supply like their um affiliates with uh conservative talking points and content that they're required uh, so to show yeah that they're required to show even if it doesn't really make sense to show it in necessarily some some place like uh large swaths of the pacific northwest um, particularly like in the Seattle area, even though there is still a deep thread of conservatism up here. Um, so it, I'm really curious to see how everyone captures certain things, what they spend time on, what they prioritize. Um, I just need to decide the best way to do this project because uh, originally I was just going to like watch one one station a month per or like check-ins mm -hmm. but then i just realized well that doesn't give me like an overview of how they're tackling like this same issue and like so i need to like figure out the best way to do that um right now i've been really consistent about watching uh king five's morning show but that's also not a great way to get news because it keeps getting interrupted by traffic and reports <laughs> Um, so I need to like also make it a point to watch more of the evening stuff as well, which thankfully is actually really easy because all the stations up here do a lot of evening news coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, like King five does like, uh, five, five thirty, and then six thirty and seven, mm -hmm. uh, cause they make a space for NBC's nightly news. So they do a lot of like local news stuff. And so I need to like, uh, in the evening. So I need to like, remember to watch it instead of playing video games. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm really excited. And this also has the benefit of like educating me about my general area, which is something I'm generally sort of unaware of, mm -hmm. um, which was a bad habit I had even when I was in Atlanta. Um, so I'm looking to fill that gap for myself as well. So be slightly more informed about what's going on, at least in terms of apartment fires, condo fires, uh, people being shot and uh, bus driver strikes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited about it. And I've already been, like, taking notes. I have, like, a Google Doc and everything um, that I was logging. I've slacked off on that this week already. But I am still watching stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So that's my resolution is watching local news and comparing and contrasting their approaches and tones to national events. Like, the Sessions Marijuana thing was a big thing that they, uh, the affiliate I watched, like, devoted, like, their entire 7 o'clock show to discussing. Mm -hmm. um, and with only one particular, like, slant to it as well, which I found really interesting interesting um so yeah that's that's basically what i'm going to do this year is watch a lot more local news and i'm excited about it that's a great resolution especially yeah. in a midterm year that's yeah like, right it's yeah. a really good really good idea i'm pretty jealous of it uh you can take it we can both do it and discuss our like different approach how news gets reflected in both of our both of our media markets yeah I 
I feel you're like, not going to do that. Well, no, but no, because I feel like we're just going to end up saying the same thing every month. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. We are. So I'm probably going to say the same thing every month, which is my only concern about this, yeah. which is why I was taking notes. But yeah, no, so that's my only concern with it. But I will try to when we're getting yeah. up to a resolution check in, I'll try to, to do some of that as well, because that's just to be an informed person. I should do more yeah. of that. Um, my resolution this year is to fill in some of my TV gaps. Well, first of all, okay. one of my resolutions is to watch less TV. So I, okay. I have actually been doing that. Like I we still watch a lot of TV here on the on the televerse. But as far as like watching less filler TV and watching um making sure I'm not trying to multitask everything with watching TV so that I can be more efficient in my time. Um, But the actual watching more TV part of this uh, is I'm going to fill in some of my gaps because I have watched a lot of TV, but we don't really do the the televers out of the DVD shelf the way that we used to, just because we don't have the time. I don't have the time to catch up on, on classic TV like I used to. And it's just scheduling guests with our schedule is very challenging unless they can do like a particular day. So we, we, it's a lot harder for us to have guests on and therefore it's a lot harder for, for me to continue doing the DVD shelf in the way I used to. So I'm not being exposed to shows that I wouldn't have thought to watch. And the history of TV that I've watched is like, I didn't grow up with cable and I didn't, uh, and I, I will shock everyone that the, the white cishet girl from the suburbs, uh, did, did, did not watch a lot of very diverse TV. I pretty much just watched white girl TV uh, growing up. So there is a lot of TV that I have just as a giant gap in my knowledge. If I haven't sought it out as capital G great TV, I haven't seen it. So unless someone else maybe watch it. So like, for example, the living single just got picked up by, was it Hulu or somebody? Like it's just showed up on one of the, it's going to be on one of the streaming. I think it's Hulu. Yeah. Yeah, streaming platforms. People are very excited about it. I've never seen a single episode, despite really liking that cast. Or Girlfriends talking about Blackish, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross on that show. Never watched it. Um, I think, the, you know, we what we talk about Fresh Off the Boat most of the weeks, but I have never seen American Girl, which I don't know if it's any good, but certainly it'd be interesting for me to see it. And there's there's plenty of TV um, that is, the ones that I'm more interested in are the ones that are really culturally significant and relevant to the development of television or just milestones in television, but that I never sought out because they weren't made explicitly for me or marketed for me, even though I might really love them. Um, so like it took me long enough to watch Treme, despite that being made for me and the, so much as like all the music, you know? Um, so, so that's my goal is to each every month or two, depending on how long the show is to yeah. seek out a really influential and terrific show that is not necessarily like designed for me as the ideal audience and watch it anyways and, and see what I think about it and um, sort of enrich my aware, like awareness and understanding of the history of TV history. Like I've never seen, um, I've I've seen a lot of SNL from like, the, I like right when we got cable, a comedy central, I think it was, or it might've been E started showing no, like, it was both, but yeah, comedy yeah. central had them for a while. And then E also had them for a while, but yeah, both of them have shown like massive the whole, yeah. like I've seen a lot of seventies, yeah. <laughs> um, SNL, but I've seen very little Mad TV, and I've seen no like uh, in Living Color. Okay, 
Um, and Living Color got such a good drop on Fresh Off the Boat this week. Uh, yeah. Uh, but there's plenty of other really influential shows that I just have never seen. And uh, without someone else making me watch it through the DVD shelf, I need to make me watch it. So if you guys yeah. have recommendations of what I should seek out for with that, let me know. Or like, you know, we last year we went to Klaxicon and it was so amazing and super fun. And it looks like it's going to be really great this year again, too. I've got major uh, FOMO every time I go on my Twitter feed. Um, but like the way that everyone there was so like, powerfully connected to like Spashley, right? From mm-hmm. from that show, and I had never even I even never even heard of that show. I had no idea what it was. Um, that's you know the kind of stuff where like if if you if there's a fan base that passionate about a show, there's something worth checking out about for it. So uh, let me know what your picks are of the TV that. I would have missed growing up that I really should go double back on. So that's my resolution. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the podcast. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org. Reach out and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed and up on Stitcher as well. We would appreciate ratings and reviews. Helps other people find the show. Lets us know that you're actually listening. <laughs> and you can, of course, find us on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and thank you as ever noel thank you Kay. thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs) 